For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. One quick announcement. We are doing React Dev Summit. It's probably going to be around the same week that this comes out, so be aware of that. I'm also pulling together JavaScript Dev Summit, which is going to be in the middle of May. So go check that out at jsdevsummit.com. I'm also going to apologize briefly if my voice is a little scratchy. I got this terrible cold from my wife. I didn't get it as bad as she did, but it, I've definitely had my voice off and on this week. So um, anyway, we have a special guest this week, and that's Peggy Razis. Peggy, do you want to say hi? Sure. Hey, everyone. This is Peggy Razis from the Apollo team, uh, and I'm in Hoboken, New Jersey. So thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, about a year and two months ago, we did an episode about Apollo and GraphQL with Uri Goldstein. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Um, funny enough, when I went and looked it up, uh, Amy and I were the two panelists that were on that one too. So I, I guess we're the GraphQL people for JavaScript Jabber, right, Amy? Yes. I can't believe it was like that long ago. It seems like, I don't know, a year and a half and it seems like it was six months ago. But yes, I have a slew of questions uh, yeah. for this episode too. Awesome. Before we get there though, Peggy, do you want to just give a little bit more of an introduction, like who you work for? Um, what your background is, uh, you know, why you're famous, your favorite flavor of ice cream. I don't know anything you want to put out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I'm an open source engineer on the Apollo team where uh, I do a variety of things. I feel like as an open source engineer, no two days are ever the same. Uh, sometimes I'm reviewing pull requests. Sometimes I'm creating blog posts. Uh or other forms of content, giving workshops. So it's really exciting. I primarily focus on uh, client stuff and working on our uh, most popular tool, Apollo Client, and then also some of our other libraries like Apollo Link and Apollo Link State. And before that, I was a UI engineer at Major League Soccer, where I did primarily uh, React and React Native work and also um, saw our transition from REST to GraphQL. Uh, and favorite flavor of ice cream is tough because I really love ice cream. So I don't really discriminate between chocolate and vanilla, but, uh, cookies and cream would probably be my go-to. <laughs> Way to go. Awesome. So yeah, so let's talk about Apollo and GraphQL. Now, you know, some people are going to have heard the past episode and some won't. So let's just give kind of a, a five minute uh, elevator pitch on what GraphQL is and what Apollo is so people kind of have some context and then we can dig in a little deeper. 
Absolutely. So GraphQL um, at its core is really a, uh, a typed query language. It was developed by Facebook and it allows you to describe your data requirements in a declarative way. Um, so you can kind of contrast this with REST, for example, um, if you're hitting a particular resource like an article's endpoint, you're just going to get all the data um, that comes back from that endpoint, whether or not you plan on using it in your UI. With GraphQL, um, you can actually describe the particular fields that you want um, from that article's endpoint. So say you're only using the, uh, the title and the author, for example, you'll get back an array of article objects with only a title and an author property. Um, so this is really great because it allows um, for faster development on the front end, um, smaller payloads, and just a really excellent developer experience. Um, so that's GraphQL, the language. but um, Oftentimes when we say GraphQL, we're referring to this huge ecosystem of tools mm -hmm. that's really um, exploded in the past couple of years that help you integrate GraphQL into your application. So, Can I, um, can I interrupt Apollo, you really quickly? Um, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I've been talking to some new people and they're like, can you just get some definitions and some of the stuff that people throw out there? And you, you said something like typed query language. Can you just give people a background yes. on what that is so that they can understand a little bit better and then we can dig into the ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I say that GraphQL is a typed query language, um, everything is statically typed. So um, when you are uh, first integrating GraphQL on the server, you're going to define a schema. And that's like a blueprint for your data. Um, and uh, everything is typed. And when you make a GraphQL request, your request is then validated against those types. Um, and then in order to... Um, uh, define the fields, you have uh, resolvers, which are how you actually fetch the data from uh, a REST endpoint or a database or another GraphQL API. Mm -hmm. um, did that answer your question? I think so. I, th I think one clarification is, is that if you ask for an article, you get an article object, which is something you said, but I don't know if the two ideas got tied together. And then the other thing is, is an article object can have stuff underneath it. So it can have maybe a number of views or the body of the article or things like that. And those are also typed. And so, you know, you can expect what you get. Whereas with REST, usually you just get a big blob of data and you have to know how it goes together on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, the typing actually makes for a lot of really excellent developer tools. If you've ever played around with graphical, for example, you have that documentation on Explorer on the side, um, which gives you full visibility into everything that's going on with your schema, the different types, um, how you can query for those types. And then um, it also features autocomplete as well, which uh, makes for a really excellent developer experience. Awesome. And it looks like AJ joined us. AJ, do you want to say hello? Hello. I also want to ask, where do the schemas get defined? Is that like in the top header of the object, it says, here's a link to the schema? Or So your schema is defined on your GraphQL server um, and typically defined in schema definition language or uh, SDL if you're using uh, GraphQL tools and Apollo server together. Um, you can also kind of define it manually using GraphQL JS if you'd like, but schema definition language is definitely the more intuitive way to go um, that we see most people uh, building their GraphQL servers with. Yeah, you can turn that feature on and off with most GraphQL backends where you can query and see what the schema is, but it's a really, really handy way to quickly understand what you're dealing with. All right, so um, I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were going into... Uh, GraphQL ecosystem. And I think Amy has a question about that when, when we get into it. Uh, keep going for a little bit. 
Okay, sounds good. Um, yeah, so uh, speaking about the GraphQL ecosystem, there's so many different tools that are out there um, in order to help you implement GraphQL into your application. Um, but uh, since I work at Apollo, I'm going to recommend uh, the Apollo stack, which is kind of our full stack family of tools that help uh, make GraphQL really approachable. So on the back end, you have Apollo server, and that's our um, implementation of a GraphQL server in Node. And uh, it features all of the latest extension points like tracing and cache control. Um, so it's really intuitive, easy to use. Um, you can use it with Express or Happy or um, you know even AWS Lambda if you prefer. So um, tons of extension points out there. You um, so when you're defining your um, GraphQL schema on your server, then you would use GraphQL tools, which is our package that I was talking about earlier that allows you to define your schema using schema definition language and then um, to write your resolvers in a very intuitive way. And then on the front end, once you have your GraphQL server, you need to connect it to your UI somehow. So you have Apollo Client, which is our um, GraphQL client that really provides a cohesive data story for your application. So it, um, it caches your data for you um, it handles really complex features like pagination and optimistic UI, and it tracks the loading states and the error states of your queries. Um, and then from there, uh, to hook it up to your view layer, you would use one of our uh, integration packages. Um, Apollo Client actually works with React. It works with Angular, Vue, or even vanilla JavaScript. Um, we actually have a Reason ML package as well. So um, yeah, that's how you bind your queries to your UI um, is through our view layer integrations. Awesome. You learned, you used a couple of terms. Sorry, Amy, I'm going to preempt you for a second um, that I, I'm also not familiar with. So you talked about tracing and cache control. Do you want to talk about those really quickly on, on uh, the Apollo server? Yeah, so um, tracing and cache control are really new. Um, these are extension points that are uh, sent back with the GraphQL response that then um, you can use in our uh, GraphQL API gateway called Apollo Engine to um, visualize the performance data of your resolvers and then mm -hmm. also um, to set uh, cache hints on your uh, GraphQL response, which you're then able to um, you know, visualize in Apollo Engine as well. Awesome. Okay. So, uh, you know, in preparation for the episode, I was reading a bunch of stuff because I've just been having like a lot of conversations recently, uh, recently actually at work about, you know, how this might actually benefit us. And just like scanning through Hacker News this morning, there was an article that was kind of clickbaity, but uh, how GraphQL replaces Redux. And while, you know, the person who wrote the article is like saying it wasn't necessarily that they got rid of Redux entirely, it cut cut down on a lot of their like front end state management logic uh, by switching to GraphQL. So I'd be curious if you can kind of talk about that because it sounds like you have some experience in that firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. So before I worked at Apollo, I worked at Major League Soccer where I saw our uh, organization's transition from REST to GraphQL. And Go Real Salt Lake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so previously we uh, were using uh, REST and Redux for our data fetching, um, but once we switched to Apollo Client, we were able to see all this code surrounding um, aggregating data from our different REST endpoints and tracking things like error and loading state just melt away um, by switching to Apollo Client since it handles all of that for you out of the box. And... Um, 
When you kind of think about the different uh, reducers that you have in your application, I'd guarantee that most of them are probably related to remote data fetching. So once uh, you know that's all removed and Apollo Client's taking care of all of that for you, you're really only left with just a little bit for client state. Um, so we actually released a package earlier this year called Apollo Link State that allows you to handle your local data inside Apollo Client um, and store it in the Apollo cache alongside your remote data, which is super exciting because now people can completely eliminate Redux from their applications if they'd like to, and then just use their Apollo cache as their single source of truth for all the data in their application. So uh, yeah, even though that post title seems a little bit clickbaity, it's definitely something that's entirely possible with the um, Apollo ecosystem of tools that we have today. I love deleting code. You talk about deleting code, that makes me smile. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd say that the best code is no code because um, you don't have to maintain it. You don't have to think about it. And, um, you know, it's it's just so nice that Apollo Client kind of takes care of all those things for you. It allows um, just for so much greater developer productivity in my experience, um, at least when I was a UI engineer, it definitely helped us iterate a lot quite quicker and to also reuse code between platforms because um, we no longer had to like duplicate tons of logic between our React and our React Native apps. We could just kind of share all our Apollo containers across um, across platforms. Does, does the conversation change if you're not using Redux or if you're in a different ecosystem like maybe Angular or Vue or some of these other front-end systems? I don't think so. Um, so the Angular store implementation, NGRX, mm -hmm. um, we've heard from a lot of people uh, who are Apollo Angular users who were able to stop using NGRX for their data management. Mm -hmm. um, we've heard the same story for Vue users and Vuex. Um, so I think, uh, you know, regardless of what front-end framework you're using, I think a lot of people have found great success eliminating a lot of complexity from their applications by switching to Apollo. Yeah, NGRX is based on Redux and uses the Redux pattern. So that's not a surprise, but sometimes things change and you, you not in the ways you expect. So I was curious there. AJ, it looks like you've got a couple of questions. you want to chime in? Yeah, so in the same vein, I'm wondering... Uh, when is the right time to use this and when is it not? Because it's it's GraphQL, so that would imply that it's when you're working with graph structured data, it sounds like it's a perfect fit, but what if you're not working with graph structured data or like what is it I, when is it that I should anticipate I should go ahead and make the move and when is it that I should say, you know what, what I have works just fine for my use case. Yeah, so I think it's kind of a common misconception about GraphQL that um, you have to be working with graph-shaped data in order to get benefits from it. Um, I would say that the people who get the greatest benefits from GraphQL are people with um, maybe a lot of different uh, microservices with REST endpoints or just a lot of different data sources that need to be aggregated into uh, a single object to be consumed on the client. That's something that GraphQL does really well because you specify kind of the logic for um, fetching the different data sources in your resolvers, um, but they could be from anywhere. Uh, they could be from a REST endpoint or a database. It doesn't matter. It's kind of how you combine them in your schema. So um, I would say that your 
data de definitely doesn't have to be uh, graph shaped or you don't have to be using uh, GraphQL APIs in your resolvers um, to get the most benefit. You can be uh, just calling regular REST endpoints in your resolvers. So it sounds like the way that you're talking about GraphQL is really uh, as a backend service that's aggregating other backend services. So I'm integrating my Twitter feed with my Facebook feed with my Instas, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of where it shines. And it's also um, a lot of people's first exposure to GraphQL. Maybe they don't have uh, a GraphQL API over their database set up just yet. Um, a lot of people have REST endpoints. It's a really easy way to just start incrementally using GraphQL into your application. It's just to um, start small, maybe with like one feature, build out a schema, and then just start calling the REST endpoints that you already have. So... One of the things that I would, like when I think of graph data, like true graph data, I think of Facebook, right? Because yep. it is, you know, the, what popularized graph data on the web in that you have this relationship of you're a friend that has friends of which each friend has friends of which each friend has friends of which each friend and so on. Um, so how do you get the benefit of being able to get a true graph structure like that without downloading the entire internet? Yeah, uh, you can definitely see where it spirals out of control. Um, there are some packages that you can use on the back end to help clean up some of those calls uh, to your endpoints, one of which is data loader, which kind of batches and caches um, calls to your different endpoints um, to avoid just like hitting them over and over again in a single request. So we definitely recommend using that. Um, but I'd also recommend too, um, analyzing your schema. We have uh, our GraphQL um, API gateway called Apollo Engine that allows you to analyze really detailed tracing data for your resolvers um, and to see how long your requests are taking. So by analyzing that data, you can kind of avoid these recursive um, situations or situations where you're you're calling your endpoints way too many times for a single request. So is there like a way to specify depth? I want all friends but no dupl duplicates up to three layers or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So there is an extension, and I am blanking on the name right now, but um, Max Stoiber wrote a really excellent blog post on um, GraphQL security, an extension he used to specify um, the depth of his requests. Uh, I'll send you guys the link so you can link to it in the episode. But um, awesome. yeah, using packages like that is a really great way to avoid um, like deeply recursive uh, data structures. So I have a kind of have a question backing up a little bit more. If if a team wanted to like implement this, how would people go about like starting small with an existing application? Like what what do you need to consider before you incorporate it? Like and then how can you take the most baby steps to go about it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great question. I feel like we get that one all the time just because GraphQL seems really intimidating at first. Um, but I would advise anyone who's looking to bring GraphQL into their organization to really just start small and pick maybe like one feature, one um, reducer if you're using Redux, for example, and then um, to just build a very simple GraphQL server um, and to just detail uh, out a schema for one particular feature. And then um, on 
on the client side, once you have that server, you can use our new package, Apollo Boost, which um, all you have to do is just like pass the URI of your GraphQL server and it'll set it up all for you. Um, and you'll literally, I was teaching a workshop last week in London. Um, people were set up in making their first queries within 10 minutes. So I would say to just start small, start with one feature and um, just incrementally um, convert over those features to GraphQL. Um, and I think you'll find like once people start doing it that, um, you know, it, it seems a little weird when they're first uh, using it, especially if they're coming from more of a Redux and REST background, but, um, you know, people really start to love it and then you gradually start to um, convert over more and more features. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like Backups, Node Balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code JavaScriptJabber2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is JavaScriptJabber2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions. One other thing that I've done in playing with GraphQL is just do a little bit of setup on like GraphQL or Prisma or Scaffold, which is with a PH. Um, you know, you play with some of these backend as a service systems and that we don't have to worry about the backend system. And then, yeah, then you can just kind of work your way in with a small project like Peggy's recommending. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, GraphQL, they've been really great um, contributors to the GraphQL community. They actually, um, I think uh, they've had it for a little bit, but have just started to publicize their GraphQL boilerplates GitHub repository, which has some starter projects um, so people can easily get started with GraphQL. Yeah. So one thing that I wind up talking a lot to people about, and this is because um, I live a lot in the back end. So on the front end, you know, you've got Apollo and you've got, um, you know, Relay or something like that. You you know, you're pulling from a GraphQL uh, API. But when you're setting up a GraphQL API, uh, you know, the conversation changes a little bit because now it's how do I get all of my data formatted into the right format? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how Apollo Server works and we can dig into maybe some of the other implementations that are out there? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, Apollo Server is our um, our GraphQL server implementation for Node, and it works uh, with a variety of different backend frameworks, the most popular being Express. Um, and it's literally only uh, a couple lines of code, and you can get your GraphQL start a server started up um, pretty much instantaneously. And then from there, as you're uh, you know, writing your schema, you'll probably be using our package GraphQL tools, which allows you to um, build out your schema using schema definition language and then um, write your resolvers as well. That makes sense. One thing that I'm curious about is, so I have some systems that I'm building and part of me thinks, oh, well, I should just, you know, build the API with the REST setup that's in Rails or whatever I'm using. But then part of me thinks, okay, well, I have a 
database here and Express can connect to that database. So could I just set up like a separate service that's my API service with Apollo Server? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of companies have kind of set up a separate GraphQL service to aggregate the data from their various databases and other microservices. So that's definitely um, a, a popular route to take. Yeah, make you guys do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've also worked on a little bit of GraphQL stuff on the back end with uh, the Ruby GraphQL gem. And I know that there are similar packages. You know, you talked about Apollo Server. Um, and so what, what usually winds up going on is you, uh, have resolvers. I think that's what they're called on the back end. And, um, you know, essentially what happens then is you, you set up some kind of, um, class or object that does the work of formatting it. And I'm assuming that's what Apollo does in Apollo server on its back end is it just contains the resolvers and gives you an easy way to set all that stuff up. Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, you know, obviously with JavaScript, you don't have to worry about um, like statically typing your models as you would in other languages. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Apollo Server makes it really easy to um, just set everything up. Huh, I'll definitely have to check that out. I'm curious to um, once you get into using uh, something like Apollo or GraphQL on your front end, um, I like to test my systems how much of that do you really need to do with GraphQL? Because when I look at what you put in and what you get back, it's fairly intuitive. And so some, part of me is thinking, I don't necessarily need to test that. And part of me is thinking, you have to test everything. So, I mean, what, what kind of an approach do you take there? Yeah, so um, definitely one of the approaches that people use is, uh, you know, mocking out their GraphQL server and mocking out their resolver functions. That's a popular approach. Um, also, snapshot testing in Jest is a really great way to mm. kind of test the responses that you're getting. Um, so I would say those are probably the two most popular ways um, to test. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not sure exactly how, I haven't used Jest. Um, what, what does the snapshot testing do? It's amazing. So um, it allows you to essentially take a, a snapshot, and this could be of anything. It could be of a GraphQL response. It could be, um, you know, any sort of like uh, anything that's serializable, really. And uh, it'll take that snapshot and it'll store it for you. And then the next time you run that test, it'll um, it'll test the uh, result against that stored snapshot, and then it'll mm. be able to show you the diff. So it's a really easy way to get a lot of test coverage. I feel like I just snapshot all the things in my projects just because um, it's so nice and intuitive to use. Um, yeah, I highly recommend giving it a try. Yeah, it sounds like there was a gem in Ruby called VCR. And you would essentially, if you had a third-party API you were hitting, um, it would make the request and then store the, and the response in what they called a cassette was just a JSON file. And then, yeah, it would just compare what you got back the next time with what was in the JSON file and make sure it all lined up if you were testing it that way. But it would also allow you to use those cassettes so you didn't have to do an end run to the API server every time you were doing your tests. And so it would use those as a, as a mock for the API server. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So are there big companies out there using GraphQL? I mean, besides Facebook, Facebook kind of invented it. But uh, are, there, are there other folks out there that are using it, other big users of Apollo that have kind of an interesting use case that you're aware of? 
Yeah. So a lot of companies, large and small, are using GraphQL in production. The New York Times recently switched over last year um, from Relay to Apollo. They wrote a really excellent blog post about their experience there. Um, Ticketmaster is another big company, CNBC. Um, we have tons of them on our website. And then, uh, you know, even ranging down to smaller startups, all of all these companies, uh, both large and small, have found a lot of success with GraphQL. Gotcha. That's awesome. So yeah, so Amy asked, uh, what what's the best way to get started? I'm a little curious, is there documentation somewhere on the internet that is a good place for people to go when they try this out and maybe run into a little snag here or there? Yeah, so uh, in terms of tutorials, howtographql.com is a website set up by GraphCool that has a lot of um, interactive exercises and videos for um, both the front end and the back end that a lot of people use when they're just starting out. Um, I'm actually going to be having an egghead course released uh, in the next couple months on Apollo Client. So that'll be a really great resource for people that are just starting out. Uh, what else? What else? We have some blog posts on Medium, um, a full stack GraphQL tutorial that kind of walks you through the whole process of um, creating your first Apollo server and then hooking it up to Apollo Client. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a, a wealth of information out there on on how to get started. Um, yeah, it's it's just scattered uh, everywhere throughout the internet. I guess it kind of depends on your learning style too, whether yeah. you're more of a blog post learner, or video learner, um, and uh, also workshops too. We're we're starting some uh, in person workshops with uh, Ryan Florence and his uh, Workshop.me company. So yeah. be on the lookout for those as well. Awesome. Well, congrats on the Egghead course and the workshop.me stuff. I've, I've talked to Ryan about that. All of that is great stuff and terrific people behind those companies. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're super excited to partner with them on that. Yep. Okay, one last thing that um, I'm curious about, and this is more just kind of personal curiosity. Uh, the Apollo Library is put together by the Meteor Development Group. And so I'm curious, is this what... Um, Meteor is using behind the scenes now? Because I, I still have people say, oh, I'm using Meteor for all of my web development. It's awesome. And I know they had their own kind of uh, proprietary protocol for that. Have, have they moved everything over to Apollo and GraphQL then? Uh, so I think Apollo was kind of born out of, um, you know, some of the frustrations, I guess, with handling data and Meteor. And it was kind of uh, inspired by that. Um, there's actually like surprisingly not too many examples of uh, integrating Meteor and Apollo. I know um, they're tr definitely trying to make that easier. Um, but yeah, it's Apollo is, uh, you know, definitely uh, separate, but we are using it internally mm -hmm. on some of our tools like Galaxy, um, which is our Meteor hosting service. Um, yeah, so we we're definitely using it at the company. Awesome. And that's not what the show is about, but Meteor is cool stuff too. So definitely check it out as well. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. This episode is sponsored by Codacy. If you want to improve code quality, prevent bugs, and secure liabilities for making it into your production and, at the same time, speed up your code review process by 20%, then you need to try Codacy. Codacy makes it easy to track code quality and code coverage and to identify and fix issues by automatically checking your commits and pull requests against all the most widely used static analysis tools. Codacy helps build great teams that build great software. So join companies like Delivery Hero, PayPal, Samsung, and more and try it for free through GitHub or Bitbucket. 
If you use the code JSJabber at checkout, you will get a 10% discount. That's codacy, C-O-D-A-C-Y.com. AJ, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. Uh, so there's one I have not mentioned in a long time is simple.com. So I do, I have an online bank account with simple.com and their interface is just really slick and clean to use. And one cool thing that happens is when you sign up with them, and I don't know if they still do this. I, I think they, I think they give you a wallet of some sort. I don't know if it's the wallet that I got when I first signed up, but they give you this, this wallet that's basically a chipboard like or cardboard or paperboard or whatever you want to call it. The technique is called chipboard, I found out. Um, separator where you put like cards on one side and cash on the other. And a number 84 blue rubber band, which goes around horizontally rather than vertically like a broccoli rubber band would. Um, and I've enjoyed that for many moons. Um, and so much so that I actually decided to uh, to get the specs for how to make them and and uh, do that. So I also have uh, a site up now. It's broccoliwallet.com where I'm, if you want to get one of those, you can get one. Um, and I'm also going to pick again the book that I've been listening to, The Four. It's about Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple. Uh, it's a very interesting read. It's got a little bit, I mean, it's a business book. So so they, they use business language, like the F word every so many times a chapter, um, which I, I'm a little sad about. I wish that that they'd, they'd keep it clean so you could uh, play it around children and whatnot. Uh, but the concepts of the book about how these four giant companies have been built and and what's going on with them, um, what what their their secret motives are and how they've developed and stuff. It's some of it's a little conspiracy theory, but it's probably true. And it's just a fun book and really interesting. So those are my picks. Awesome, Amy. What are your picks? Okay, so the first one, I'm going to go ahead and pick that article I mentioned, uh, how GraphQL replaces Redux, and I'll put a link for that in the show notes. And then the other one, um, if you are in the LA area, uh, they are looking for speakers for uh, the JavaScript meetup there. They reached out to me, but unfortunately, I don't have any plans to be in LA this year that I know of yet. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, if you're in the area, um, I'll put a link and you can uh, contact the organizers. It sounds like they have a pretty good uh, meetup there that you would want to check out. And that is it for me. Awesome. I'm going to chime in with a couple of picks. Um, the first one is um, basically just if you're looking for some way of implementing GraphQL in whatever language you're in, uh, just do a Google search for it. There are there are libraries now for just about everything. So, um, you know, my my uh, um, language of choice on the back end is still Ruby. So, you know, I go pick up the GraphQL-Ruby gem. Works great. Um, but, yeah, this is something that's approachable for everybody pretty much uh, on any stack. Um, there's also a WordPress GraphQL uh, plugin, and so I'm going to pick that. Um, I haven't done anything with it yet, but it looks really interesting. So um, I'm going to pick that as well. And then um, my wife and kids and I have all been playing a board game that I've been really enjoying. Um, yeah, you know, that I'm taking over for Joe picking a board game. Um, but uh, we've been playing the Hogwarts Battles. It's actually a deck building game. It's more of a card game than a board game. Um, but it's been a ton of fun and just... Um, teaching my kids how to play it. My eight-year-old can play it. Um, my six-year-old, it's a little bit complicated for him, 
but my eight-year-old can play it. My 10-year-old can play it. My 12-year-old can play it. So, um, and my, uh, my wife can play it. So, you know, if you're worried about old people too, my wife's three years older than I am. So I always give her a bad time about being old. But anyway, we, we've had a good time playing it as a family. And so uh, I'm going to pick that. Um, my sister and her husband have also been coming over, um, every other week and we've been playing pandemic legacy. Um, if you, if you're not familiar with the legacy games, they're basically, you play through them about a dozen times or so and um the last game influences the next game and there's a progression that you go through and then at the end of the game you're done with the game like you can't play it again because you've torn up cards and you know marked up your board and all kinds of stuff so um anyway it's been really really fun um we're looking at getting the pandemic legacy um season two which looks like it'll be fun and I also have a board game group that I get together with uh, every month, and I just bought uh, Risk Legacy, and so I'm going to probably set up a second board game night every night uh, with those guys to just play Risk Legacy every month. So anyway, um, really enjoy the board games, but yeah, um, those are my picks. Peggy, what are your picks? Sure. So I kind of already talked about one of my picks already, but uh, my first one is workshop.me. And that is uh, a new series of workshops led by Ryan Florence. Um, and literally every single uh, expert in the JavaScript community is giving a workshop. So if you want to learn about animations in Vue, you can learn one directly from Sarah Drasner. If you want to learn about uh, Gatsby, you have the creator of Gatsby, Kyle, teaching a workshop on that. So definitely uh, check out the page. There's tons of workshops in cities all over the country teaching just about everything that you want to learn. And shameless plug, I'm going to actually be giving a full stack GraphQL workshop in June in New York City um, with some more dates uh, following in the summer and the fall. So yeah, it's definitely check that out. Um, if you're learning to learn something, if you're looking to learn something new, because uh, there's tons of great workshops on there. And then my second pick would be, uh, it's actually a book. It's called Thanks for the Feedback. And I talked about it uh, in my talk that I gave in London this past week. But um, it's really helped me as an open source engineer just kind of um, deal with giving and receiving feedback in a more productive way. So I think as an open source engineer, you're constantly dealing with feedback from people um, and giving and receiving feedback in pull requests and on blog posts and um, on social media from people in the community. So it's definitely um, been really formative for me as I just try to um, see each like negative feedback experience as a positive one and um, how I can learn from it. So yeah, it's definitely influenced um, you know, how we've been uh, interacting with contributors. And I highly check, uh, recommend anyone who's an open source maintainer or um, just someone who wants to improve it, giving and receiving feedback to check it out. Awesome. Um, one other thing that a lot of people like to do is they like to follow our guests. So do you have a Twitter account or GitHub account or blog or anywhere else where you put information that people can go to to follow what you're working on these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I am all over the internet at Peggy Razus, um, Twitter, GitHub, Medium, all of the above. So uh, yeah, I can link to that. And uh, yeah, definitely follow me if you like React and GraphQL related tweets. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming, Peggy. 
Um, I, I think this is a really interesting direction that we're going to see more and more APIs going in. And so, it, you know, your work is important, I think, to a lot of different people going forward. So thank you. And thank you to the team that puts together Apollo. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been super fun. All right, folks, we will wrap this up and we will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.